When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 254, and we are recording on October 20th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson and Petunia the puppy, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. (sighs) Ah, yeah. All three of us (laughs) are coming to you from Book He's in his crate, which is in my office. Because if he is in his crate in another room where he cannot see me, he screams as if I have tried to murder him, which is annoying. So he's in here. (laughs) He's quiet right this second. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. He does not like to be in a room where he cannot see the people who he knows are in the house. Right, right. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm also in a new situation and my cats may decide to wage assault on the new recording closet. So, Hey, mom, what are you doing? <laughs> and it'll be a pet adventure. <laughs> We're a children's book. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's, that's it. That's the get book children's book right there. We just wrote it. Yeah. Amanda and Jen make chili and then hide from their animals. <laughs> coming soon to a bookstore near you. (laughs) All right. Well, if you, if this is your first time joining the show, welcome. You're welcome. I'm Uh, sorry. We swear we actually do talk about books. This is, as I said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send in your request for a book that is like books you have loved and have had trouble finding similar ones to. Maybe you need help picking something for your book club or a friend or a relative. Uh, or whatever. Uh, you can send us those requests at getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for each episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, please do put time-sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the first line of the form and the date that you're hoping to hear back by, and we will do our best to get to it before then. Um, if we're not going to get to it on air, though, we might shoot you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. And thank you to every Everybody who sent in their holiday requests super early, we mm-hmm. we see you and we appreciate you. Mm-hmm. It's not too late. You can still send those in. All right. So let's see. We have some feedback. Kathleen says, I just listened to the latest episode and would like to recommend something again, this time for Laura, who asked for funny sad books. Delicacy by David Fenkinos. Translated from French by Bruce Benderson, the story itself is very sad, but also hopeful and full of subtle French humor. Heather has a recommendation for the reader who asks for books with a cozy fall feel. The City Baker's Guide to Country Living by Louise Miller takes place in a Vermont inn, takes place in the fall, lots of cooking and baking autumn menus, and even some banjos, fiddles, romance, and a cute dog. I might need to read that one. I don't know about y'all. Love banjos. <laughs> yeah, love a banjo and a cute dog. And then Nicole recommends for listener Lauren, who was looking for contemporary romances, Abby Jimenez's The Friend Zone and The Happy Ever After Playlist. All right, let's get to the questions. I'm going to read the first one. We'll take a sponsor break and then we will start recommending. 
This first question is from Helen, who says, I am in a book club with some friends where half of them fall under the conservative Republican camp while the other half fall under the liberal Democrat camp like me. As someone who believes in climate change, women's rights, and the need for radical change in systemic racism, I really want to suggest a book that this whole group can read together and that will help shift the mindset of the more conservative members. I'm not trying to force them into becoming liberals. I'm looking for them to be more open to the possibility of climate change and that racism not only happens at an individual level, but on a systemic one. Note, we are a group of Asian American women, so we are POC, but our political views range widely looking for books that won't turn them off or are too far outside of their comfort zone. I'm thinking of fiction books that are compelling but not too serious. For reference, past books we've read include Little Fires Everywhere and Miracle Creek. We're currently reading Dear Girls by Ali Wong. As you can see, we don't read any controversial books and generally like popular fiction. Woo, that's a doozy of a question. All right, <laughs> let's take a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so for Helen, who's got a, a politically divided book club and wants to open up some minds, Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, I kind of ignored the fiction part of this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I, I, it's fine. I, it's fine. I picked Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rucker Bregman. It's translated by Elizabeth Manton and Erica Moore. And my book club, which is also politically diverse, we don't have any like conservative Republicans, but we have moderate conservatives all the way to like communists in my book club. So it's very politically diverse. And this is the book that we're reading right now. 
And I think that this is a good pick. So I, I'm wary to suggest to you the thing that I think that you're asking for is fiction that's going to convince them to think differently, which I don't think is going to get the like the response that you maybe are looking for. So I went with this one because Humankind is a it's a history book and anthropology kind of sociology book about the the big question that I think separates the two political parties, which is are people fundamentally good or bad? And I think that a lot of conservatives approach that question, especially if they're conservative Christians, with the understanding that people are fundamentally bad and need a lot of laws in place that regulate their bad, quote unquote, bad behavior. And it's one of the reasons foundationally that conservative politics can be so punishing and about denying people assistance because people are fundamentally bad. And if you give them help, they're just going to become lazy, et cetera, that sort of thing. And progressive politics can also function under the assumption that people, especially like white people or wealthy people or anyone we deem as like an oppressor are fundamentally bad, but not us. We're perfect. Right. And so <laughs> everybody can, can, right, can is like guilty of that a little bit. And so the book really tackles that question and it, it tackles it from the perspective of like a lot of our prison policies come from that Stanford prison study, which is pretty famous about, you know, they took um, under I think it was undergraduate students and made some of them guards and made some of them prisoners and locked them in a basement. And then all hell broke loose and everybody was like crazy. Stanford prison experiment. Stanford, yes. All the guards were like very like sadistic and all of that. Well, it turns out that study was completely built to happen that way, uh, which and it was it has been totally debunked. But I never knew that. All I ever learned about was the study and that if you put people in a room together, they're going to devolve into terrible monsters, which is just not true. And there are a few other studies like that that are uh, used to promote this idea that people at their core are fundamentally selfish and self-serving. Uh, and sinful and horrible that have all since been debunked. But the debunking process has not been as widely circulated as the studies themselves, of course, because they're like 30 years old and they're like in textbooks and stuff. So I think that getting to the ignoring the, the policy part of like, you want them to believe in climate change, you want them to be pro-choice, you want all the and like, I want this guy to be rainbow colored and pink all the time like that is probably just not going to happen via a book club selection. But I think that if you get to the core of the thing that actually separates what they believe about humans and what you believe about humans, and then talk about that, you might get a little bit farther and also removes all of the like, really big emotional reactions that people are having to political conversations right now. So if you make it a conversation about like humanity and people and like you and me and not a conversation about like, why don't you believe climate change is real? Do you only believe in fairy tales? You know, because that's the knee kind of knee way that we talk about that stuff in this moment. Uh, I think you might have a bit more of a fruitful discussion. And it's not super long. Like, it's not a super long book. It's in translation, but I didn't know. I didn't notice until I like looked it up on Goodreads. It's very readable. He's really funny. Uh, lots and lots to talk about. So that's Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. I I thought about this question a lot, and I was thinking about Little Fires Everywhere and Miracle Creek, and I picked for you When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole, which is a thriller about gentrification. <laughs> it is, like, popular fiction. It's on all of these bestseller lists, like EW, et cetera, et cetera, New York Times, um, USA Today, I think. So it's definitely, like, a popular success, which makes me feel like it might be something that your book club would be interested in across the board, if nothing else, just to like see what everybody's talking about, right? And it is a thriller about gentrification in Brooklyn. So like social issues are baked into the storyline. Mm -hmm. um, it's also about mental illness and anxiety and paranoia. The main character, Sydney, 
is a black woman who was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, She's returned home and she is sort of her life has really sort of fallen apart and she's really struggling. And she's also watching, you know, new neighbors come in. There's new construction. They're pulling down buildings that she's, you know, known and loved for ages. And people are flipping houses all over the place. And, you know, she's watching all this happen to this neighborhood she has a lot of attachment to. She's watching her neighbors get displaced. And she decides to start a walking tour that actually talks about the real history of the neighborhood. Because otherwise, you know, these walking tours of Brooklyn neighborhoods are just like, look at this architecture and don't talk about, you know, the populations that have come and gone and like, why have they come and gone? And she ends up getting assistance from her new neighbor, Theo, who is a white man who is in a crumbling marriage and is sort of struggling out to figure out his things. And uh, it goes out from there. It is definitely like a tense, tense book in that thrillery way. You're just like, <gasps> like, who, <laughs> what is going on? And it is, I mean, it's pretty, Sydney has some really clear ideas about social change and racism and what she's experiencing from her neighbors. And so like, you know, it's not subtle, I guess is what I want to say. But I think it will be great discussion fodder. Like, they might hate it, but there will be so much to talk about, especially in the portrayal of things like Next Door and, like, Mm. how people use those things, like, how they kind of weaponize those platforms in certain ways. And again, like, I don't think everybody in your book club is, like, gonna agree on this, but I think you will have a great discussion. And, uh, yeah, it should be interesting at the very least. So that's When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. Next door is where my faith in humanity goes to die. I just, yeah. it's, the, it's the worst. I have joined it. Like I join it when I find like lost dogs in the neighborhood and then I immediately leave it again oh. <laughs> when I, when the dog has like found its owner. This is how I survive next door. It's terrible. I did love that last saga of you finding a dog. (laughs) I just saw forever. Tiny little chihuahua. So cute. Okay. Uh, Our next question is from Emily, who says, about a year and a half ago, I moved to a new city. I've always considered myself a decently social and outgoing person. But since I moved, I've struggled with some social anxiety. I think the continuous meeting of new people and refiguring out how to connect with new people was very overwhelming. And at times, I felt like I was failing. I'm looking for a book where I can connect to the characters or writers on the basis of social anxiety. I'm imagining connecting to the main character and watching them grow and overcome their anxiety throughout the novel. Although I prefer fiction, I'm open to anything. Okay, I went with a YA novel for or a new adult. It's YA, whatever. Fangirl is what I picked by Rainbow Rowell. They're in college, so I don't know if that is... What's the cutoff for YA and new adult? I don't know. This is the thing I've never considered until this moment, but I guess it doesn't matter, so I'm going to stop talking about it. Okay, so this is about <laughs> twins, Kath and Ren. Ren like the bird, get it? Catherine. Twins who have just graduated from high school. They're going to college. Kath is the main character, and she and her twin sister are going to the same school, going to the same college, and they are both really involved in the Simon Snow series, which is kind of this novel's version of Harry Potter. Um, And they write, like, they write Simon Snow fan fiction. Kath is actually really famous in the fan fiction world for her fan fiction that she's written about these characters. Uh, She's really well known. They, like, hang out in Simon Snow forums, all that kind of stuff. And then when they go to college, Ren tells Kath, actually, I don't want to be roommates with you. I want to, like, go do my own thing. And Kath is kind of mortified she's never been by herself never been without her sister or been by herself like those are two separate problems that are kind of the same problem but not so she has a lot a lot a lot of social anxiety she goes to her dorm and she her roommate is kind of her roommate is if you ever watched felicity her roommate is felicity's roommate if you remember that like kind of goth really grumpy with a heart of gold kind of girl that is her that's her roommate 
And her boyfriend's always around. The roommate's boyfriend's always around. Um, she goes to her fiction writing classes and her professor thinks that fan fiction is not like, quote unquote, real writing. So she's having to deal with that, despite the fact that Kath is like an actually very successful writer, uh, like famous, like people read her stuff constantly. Thousands of people read her stuff. But this one person is making her feel really self-conscious about her writing. And her father has has his own like issues. Their mother is, I think she's died. And so their dad is like trying to, he, he's not very good at taking care of himself, basically. So Kath feels a lot of responsibility for him. So all of this is going on in her life. And she does not know how to navigate being on her own without her sister. She doesn't know how to make friends. She doesn't know how to like go out and meet people. It's all very uncomfortable for her. She absolutely does not want to do any of it. Because she's used to interacting with people online in the the Simon Snow kind of fan universe and doesn't really know how to go out and meet people in person or be become friends with someone who she's forced to see like her new grumpy Felicity lookalike roommate. But she overcomes it like the, the book is really about her coming of age, learning how to be strong and independent on her own, how to I don't know that I would say she like overcomes her anxiety because it's just a thing that's with her. But she does learn how to kind of manage it and get close to her roommate. There's a little bit of romance. She, you know, works out her issues with her sister. Uh, very, like, kind of coming of age, I think I would say. So that's Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. That was such a fun book. Mm-hmm. I keep changing my mind about what I'm going to I'm, like, literally changing the agenda as Amanda's talking. <laughs> Here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do two things. First of all, I just want to say I feel you. I've moved a lot in my life. I actually counted recently for reasons, and it was, like, 16 times. I moved 16 times. And some of them were just to different apartments inside the same city, but a lot of those were across the country. It is really hard to make new friends as an adult. And the thing I want to tell you is find a club, like find a local bookstore that has a book club, find like a bowling league, find a gardening club, like find, think about what you like to do, find a place that has those things. Now, obviously, in COVID times, this is like extremely complicated, but there are a lot of stores doing digital book clubs. Just as a for example, you like books, you're listening to the show. (laughs) And that can be a way to start meeting people in your community, even if it's virtually. And then like, maybe you can have like a walk on opposite sides of the street date with one or two of them if you get close in the digital realm. Um, Or gardening is a very socially distant activity. So, you know, you have to get a little creative, but I swear to you that the thing that is going to make this so much easier for you is shared interests. You need something to talk about right off the bat that's not an awkward icebreaker. So, like, join a, find a club. <laughs> um, it, it will really change everything for you. It, it was when I first moved to Philadelphia, I had one friend here and I was like, well, I probably should not rely on one person for all of my social needs because that way lies badness. And I joined the Great Gardening Club and it was such a, a like a life changer. So... All right. That's my pitch for clubs as adults. I know I just talked about this book, but I really do feel like this is what I want to part two of my recommendation for you. So Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye, which I did just talk about. It's a romance. It's really lovely and sweet. Everyone's a cinnamon roll. But the main character, I know I touched on this, the main character does suffer from social anxiety. It's been like years since she has felt comfortable going out in public. And her reasons are different from yours. But the feeling is there, that panicky feeling of like, I don't know any of these people. I don't know how to talk to any of these people. And she's in therapy for it. And she has like one safe place. This is coffee shop. And she has to like, you see her taking these 
tiny but important and significant steps towards feeling more comfortable out in the world. And it's really lovely to watch that progression. And then also it's a romance. So like, you know, there's steaminess and love and and good things in other ways. But I do feel like that one might, might be worth it for you. So again, that's Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I just finished The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides and was just enthralled the whole way through. I love what The New Yorker called the character's, quote, intellectual angst, unquote, and was entranced with the unique, complex relationships between these three characters. Looking for read-alikes that feel the same as this one, books that involve urban intellectuals in their 20s figuring out life and love and intimacy, where the relationships and dynamics are almost a character within themselves and maybe the whole plot. I also like how this novel and the relationships in it were very nuanced, not your standard cheesy romance. Other books I've enjoyed that scratch the same itch are Normal People, Conversations with Friends, The Idiot by Elif Batuman, and One Day. I've been talking for forever. What do you have, Amanda? Um, I picked The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer, which I think, I, I feel like intellectual angst, as you describe it, is its, it's its own subgenre of literary fiction. And it's one that I really, really love. And this rang a lot of the same bells for me that the marriage plot did. So this is also about a college student named Greer. She's a freshman. Um, she has a longtime boyfriend. And she doesn't really know what she wants to do with her life. And then she goes to a... Um, like a presentation or whatever at her college given by Faith Frank, who in this book is kind of a Gloria Steinem kind of character. Like she's in her 60s. She's a really, really famous foundational person from the feminist movement. And Faith and Greer have a like a meet cute (laughs) almost in a bathroom. And Greer ends up working for Faith at Faith's new foundation for like working on eliminating global inequity for women. And so Greer looks up to her quite a bit, obviously kind of wants to style herself after her, starts to feel this real tension between the intellectual ideas about feminism that she's learning and how her relationship with her boyfriend is unfolding and the ways in which she is sort of tacitly expected to shelve her ambitions so that he can exercise his, even though he never really says that to her, which I think is a uh, an experience that women who had serious relationships in college, straight women anyway, will probably all be able to find a little bit relatable. And so her story, this idea that, you know, her picture of her life that she imagined for herself of marrying her boyfriend and having a really successful career starts to kind of fall apart. And then uh, her relationship with Faith is really the main, I think, driving character of the book. And it's, of course, this like about this tension between second and third wave feminism, between mentors and their mentees and the way in which all of your heroes are going to fall because they're just human beings. And I think it's really sharp about how progressives, young progressives, and I'm including myself in this, well, maybe I'm not young anymore, but I'm including, you know, early 20s, Amanda, in this can valorize people who have moved the movement forward without and then when you know we find out their weaknesses and it's just gutting and which i'm sure is true for people on the other side of the political spectrum too but you know this is my personal experience um so i found it really uh relatable in that way uh the book has gotten some criticism for its handling of race which i agree like agree with obviously and think that that is something to just keep in mind when you pick it up but i do think that this is a really great read alike for the marriage plot if this book had been written by like a woman of color, I might be more enthusiastic about it, but I am enthusiastic about it. You know, it's just got a little asterisk there. Just a little asterisk. Just keep it in mind when you pick it up. But I do think you will enjoy it. So that's The Female Persuasion by Meg Wolitzer. 
All right. My pick for this is Modern Lovers by Emma Straub, which is very much urban creative types struggling with uh, relationships and intimacy and what does it mean to be a living being. Although you said 20s and they are actually in their 40s, but like the flavor is very similar. It's just a slightly different problem set. And I think that you will dig it. It is about a bunch of former college bandmates who are still friends, Elizabeth and Andrew and Zoe. And they all live in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. And they now have kids. And like Andrew is sort of having this crisis of like, uh, how did I get to be this age? Like, Mm. am I still cool? (laughs) Like, what am I doing? Um, Elizabeth is having other issues as is Zoe, and uh, their kids are like teenagers getting into teenagery hijinks, which is always, you know, a thing. And somebody comes knocking. They had, uh, there was another bandmate, a fourth bandmate, who died by suicide, and somebody has come for the life rights because, you know, they want to make a movie. And they're offering a lot of money, but it's it's not what all of, they're like disagreeing on what to do about this offer. And it's sort of sending them back in their brains to like that moment when they were in their 20s and like hip and like had everything in front of them and like what has happened to those that those versions of themselves. And like, is that something they can return to? Is that something they want to return to? Like, how do they how do they deal with all of these feelings? It is it is extremely like how to be a person. Mm-hmm. And I will say it does touch on these entry. I mean, we're just talking about Alyssa Cole's thriller. It does touch on gentrification in Brooklyn. I don't think it goes all that far into it. I mean, it's so, you know, that's also a little asterisk on this. But but for the feelings that you're looking for, um, I think this has a lot of it. So, again, Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. All right. Our next question is from Rebecca, who says, I don't know if you've noticed, but things are kind of terrible right now. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've become interested in the lives of everyday people during ongoing difficult times in history, such as the Blitz in England, the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and other places and times throughout history. I'm looking for a book to recommend for my book club that addresses this. Due to the nature of my question, I won't ask for something that isn't scary, but none of us are a fan of gore or children or animals in danger. Fiction and nonfiction are both welcome. Also, oh, let me thank you for bringing red, white, and royal blue into my life. I'm a DC local, and it's exactly what I needed. I like remembering my city as it was before the magas arrived. We don't usually read parts of questions that are like thanking us, but since it's about red, white, and royal blue, I'm going to read it <laughs> because if you haven't read it yet, I made, I made Rebecca, Rebecca at Book Riot, the co-host of the Book Riot podcast, buy it when we went on a field trip to our local indie bookstore this uh, last weekend. So I'm just continuing to evangelize for it. All right, I'm going to keep going. I picked Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America by Patrick Phillips. So this is pretty short. I don't like to recommend super, super long nonfiction for book club selections, but it's only a little over 300 pages. And this is about Forsyth County, which is a county in Georgia that the author Patrick Phillips grew up in, which is an all-white sundown county, meaning everyone who lives there is white. If you are caught in the county after dark and you are not white, you will probably be run out of town or something terrible will happen to you. And these places still exist. Forsyth County is still kind of like that. And so at the turn of the 20th century, it had a large African-American community that had included like farmers, landowners, ministers, teachers, professionals, like an up and up and coming middle class. And then in 1912, three young black men were accused of raping a white girl and were murdered. 
And then a band, like then all of the white people came together and became, quote, night riders, which is, you know, the Klan, and launched this really coordinated campaign to burn down and terrorize the black citizens. So in a, the span of like a few months, the 1,000, a little over 1,000 black citizens of the county were run out of town, like completely eliminated the black population of the town. And the white people, as they left, took their crops, took over their land that they said was like abandoned, the churches fell down, became overgrown or whatever. And so that was in 1912. And then it just stayed that way for years until it was either the 80s or the 90s that Oprah went to that town. And I don't know if you remember, I remember watching this on TV and interviewed the people, some of the locals, and also some of the descendants of the people who had been run out of town off their property started coming back to Forsyth to reclaim the farms that there that were stolen from their um, relatives. So Patrick Phillips grew up there. His parents were at, were were white, but were civil rights activists. So their presence in Forsyth was like super weird. And his childhood was very interesting. And he spends the entire book interviewing people, um, both white people and black people who were run out of town and their relatives. And so these, like, you know, you, you were asking for the lives of everyday people during ongoing difficult times. Um, that's exactly what this is. Like the, these were people who were just trying to live their life, right? Like, normal, very no sharecroppers, farm field hands, tradesmen. Some of them worked in the homes of the white people who also lived in Forsyth County. And also the people that he talks to who lived there in the 70s and 80s, you know, black people who would try to move into the county and then what would happen to them when they tried to buy property and all and like tried to just live, you know, this this very and this is like after Jim Crow. This is after, you know, what we consider the civil rights movement, the 80s. It just is kind of mind boggling. You know, now maybe it's not as shocking now that America is like having some kind of racial reckoning to read this, but I, I, it's very eye opening in my opinion because it's not a rare, this is not a rare occurrence. You know, it's this is about Forsyth because Patrick Phillips grew up in Forsyth, but this could be any number of towns in the South and probably outside of the South, but the South is where I live. So that's where my experience is. So that's Blood at the Root A Racial Cleansing in America by Patrick Phillips. I picked a book that I read right after the last presidential election, and it made me feel better. So mm. I, I feel like and it's also it's a really for me, it was a really good dose of perspective and which I think is part of what you're looking for by looking at, you know, these other moments in history and how people dealt with them. I'm recommending Mighty Be Our Powers by Lema Gaboi with Carol Mithers. And this is about the Liberian Civil War. It does come with a trigger warning for domestic abuse. Lema was born in Liberia and, you know, had her life shattered by the Civil War. Uh, she, you know, countless of her relatives and friends were killed. And she also was a young mother in an abusive marriage. And she was able to have this moment of realizing that, like, it's not just that her life had been destroyed. It's that women suffer the most during conflicts because of so many interlocking factors. And she kind of was just like, I... I'm fed up with this. And she was one of the organizers of the Liberian Mass Action for Peace, which was a group of women from different backgrounds, different classes, different religions, who sat, just like literally sat, in public protest and confronted the like warlords and the president and, you know, did what they had in their power to do, which was would seem on the outside to be pretty minimal, to sit it publicly, to just sit there. There was also a sex strike. And like these are things that are so sort of simple 
but so powerful. And they weren't, you know, they didn't come from like trained activist backgrounds. And they were just women who were looking for ways to be in community with each other and to improve their lives. And this is how they decided to do it. And it's it was just really helpful to me to be like, oh, right. Like there are people living through far worse than what I'm experiencing. It's not that what I'm experiencing isn't bad, but it is not to the degree that other people have experienced. And like, this is how they handled it. And this is what their daily lives were like. And this is what they did about it. And this is how they felt like did they, they felt hopeless. Sometimes there were, you know, internal struggles and disagreements over what happens next. But like, they did the thing. And they made a difference. And it is really powerful to see how that plays out over, you know, the course of of these conflicts and these movements and these moments in time. I also, you know, recommend it because it is a non-Western POV, which it sounds like you might be a little light on. So it would be good to broaden that perspective a little bit. So again, that's Mighty Be Our Powers by Lema Gaboy with Carol Mithers. All right. And now it is time for another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, our next question is from Kate, who says, I absolutely love gothic thrillers that involve secretly badass women. Favorites include We Have Always Lived in the Castle, Rebecca, and The Yellow Wallpaper. I'm looking to find more books in this genre as we enter Halloween season. I prefer writing that is literary but accessible. The book can be contemporary as long as it has some kind of gothic feel to it. Bonus points if it features a creepy old house. Amanda. I just talked about this book, but uh, whatever. <laughs> like, this is the perfect, it's perfect. I'm not sorry. So I picked Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And this takes place in Mexico in the 50s. And the main character is Noemi, who is Alexis Rose in my head. Like, that's just, I love this journey for her. Like, I'm just very Alexis. She's a very wealthy socialite. She's, I think, 19 or 20 when the book opens. She's in college. And just living her best socialite life like she goes to parties she dates around she kind of does whatever she wants she's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her life and her father gets a letter from her cousin who has just gotten married and is uh, left to go live in high place which is the name of the house that her husband's family owns it's in the distant distant countryside and is very isolated and this letter from her cousin is unhinged is talking about like being haunted and hunted and like what you know and so her father um who is very image conscious is like we let this we let your cousin marry this this rich guy who had no background that we knew of and now she's obviously losing her mind i'm worried about her and i want you to go see what's going on and noemi is like "Mm, i'm very uninterested in that option it's like the middle of the season i'm having a lot of fun she's probably fine why don't you go do it you know like there's a lot of like i don't want to go do that um and her dad gives her a deal that if she goes and checks on her cousin, then he will let her go to graduate school, which he was not planning to do. So she agrees and she goes to this house, which is legitimately in the middle of nowhere on an old, is it silver? I think a silver mine and finds her cousin there in this old creepy, creepy house. Uh, very, what's that Poe? Fall of the House of Usher. Like it's all falling apart. Everything's moldy and yucky. It was obviously at one time big and grand and beautiful, but now it's just like dusty and bleh. And in comes this like beautiful, vibrant woman. And she finds her cousin and the family says that her cousin has tuberculosis. It obviously doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to be the case. The family's got a lot of weird rules. Also, the family is white. Like they're from the UK and came to Mexico where they have not uh i'm trying to make this euphemism where they have inbred like they have inbred amongst the family and so they're all very like pale and weird and kind of become obsessed with noemi because she is indigenous and beautiful and brings all of this life and color but she also has like an attitude and does not appreciate the rules of the house and the longer that she stays there trying to figure out what's going on with her cousin the creepier stuff gets the house becomes more and more weird she starts having very strange nightmares there her her cousin's husband goes from being like handsome and charming to like very creepy and aggressive and weird and everything just starts to fall apart. I don't want to like go too far into the ways in which it falls apart because it's kind of a spoiler, but the book does touch on like racism and eugenics and the difference between supernatural goings on and scientific things that can make you think you're having a supernatural experience. It's very creepy. There is a big old house and a secretly badass woman in the same way that Alexis Rose turns out to kind of be a super genius. Noemi is kind of a super genius. So that's Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. All right. I am recommending a classic that I just recently read. And so if you have also missed it, you should get it on your TBR ASAP. It's The Bloody Chamber and Other Stories by Angela Carter. I dug out my copy as I was moving and was like, why haven't I read this yet? (laughs) Like, I literally own a fancy copy of this and had never read it. 
And I think this is exactly what you're looking for. It is a collection. So there are multiple stories, all of which are absolutely gothic in tone. There are a lot of fairy tale retellings, but in really unexpected, feminist, weird ways. There's a retelling of Bluebeard in particular that I think you are going to love. There is a creepy house. There is a secretly badass woman. It is just bonkers good. Although I will say that I think personally my two favorites were the two renditions of Beauty and the Beast that are very different and go in really weird directions, and I just loved it. The language in this collection is also really, it is very literary in that, like, I I mean, I think I have a pretty big vocabulary. But boy, did I have to look up some words. But it it's just it was just to further appreciate her writing craft. Like it wasn't so that I it was getting in the way of me reading the story. I just wanted to like know exactly what that description meant, as it were. So I think, you know, you will enjoy the language in this in the same way that I did. And yeah, I will also note that this was first published in 1979, and there are a few instances of some, like, very casually racist phrasing. Uh, so just something to be aware of. It's not a super surprise, and it's not—the plot doesn't hinge on it, but it's just—it's in there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very creepifying and gothic and, and Halloween-y, for sure. So again, that's The Bloody Chamber and Other Stories by Angela Carter. Oh, and it does have a foreword from Kelly Link, which is, which is fun. All right. Our next question is from Liza, who says, my sister and I are really into YA fantasy, but we've been looking for some lighter reads in the genre and have come up pretty empty. It seems as if every YA fantasy book deals with heavy subjects and are dark and intense. Romance is a must, but doesn't have to be the main storyline. Okay, I picked The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman, which is the first in the Lady Helen, I think it's a trilogy. I've read all of them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a trilogy. I could be wrong with that. Anyway, and the Dark Days Club is like Pride and Prejudice meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it is dark and in the in that like there are demons, you know, but it's very Buffy-ish in its early seasons before it got so heavy, where it's a little campy, a little kind of funny and like doesn't take itself too seriously. So the main character's name is Lady Helen. She is about to turn 18. And because she's coming of age, she's going to be presented to the queen because she is a member of the aristocracy. It's a little bit complicated because her parents died traitors like it was assumed that they were giving intelligence to napoleon this is the take place at 1812 and so it's assumed that they were giving intelligence to napoleon and while they were on their way there the ship that they were on sank and so lady helen herself even though she was just a child is always kind of looked a little bit askance when she's in society and she's being raised by her aunt and uncle who are trying really desperately to make her into like a good lady you know so that the stain of her parents sin or whatever will not <laughs> like haunt her for the rest of her days right so that she can have a nice family and get married and, and do all those things and she's actually i feel like this is a little bit rare but she is one of those regency era heroines in ya who legitimately does want to do that like she does want to get married and she does want to have a family she has not found anyone who she wants to do those things with yet but she's like interested in that so um when it turns out that she's actually a, like a demon slayer whoops and has the ability to see these extra dimensional beings who are attacking humans and she meets lord carlston who is kind of heads up the the uk's chapter of the demon slaying organization he also has like a dark cloud on him where he is it's rumored that he murdered his wife and the two of them develop this like mentor mentee relationship but also like super flirty very into each other <laughs> relationship 
And she's interested in this with him. Like, maybe maybe I could make babies with this guy at some point in my life. But do I want to have a family that I'm risking, you know, while I have this really dangerous job of being a demon slayer? Do I want to? So she decides, like, the, the first book is very much a which path do I want to take? Like, do I want to have a normal life where I have these things that I've always wanted? I've always wanted to be a mother. Or do I, like, you know, slay demons for a living um, and potentially die or, like, put my family at risk? But it's very adventurous. There's a lot of like big action. There's a lot of big feelings, a lot of like angsty romance. It's super, super fun. So that's The Dark Days Club by Allison Goodman. I picked The Magnolia Sword by Sherry Thomas, which is a Mulan retelling. And it does not have like a tiny sassy dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Alas. Yeah, I know. Alas. But you should read it anyway. It is it is historical. And I'm saying I'm giving it to you because it has like moments that sort of edge into uh, superpower territory. So that's the fantasy element. But it's otherwise pretty realistic but it's so immersive and so what's the word that I want like you just feel like you're there and it's a completely other kind of world from you know as at least what yeah from what anybody's living through right now which I feel like is half of the time what I want from fantasy right is just to be like somewhere completely different you know the basics of the story Mulan is a girl who has you know martial arts skills but is not supposed to fight. And in this version, there is this like warring family, like long running family feud. She's been trained to win this duel that happens every generation in her family. Um, She has never met her opponent like for real, but they have been dueling in secret in masks for a while and having like some interesting encounters. Like maybe (laughs) there's like a connection there, but there are sworn enemies because of this family thing and who knows. And then, you know, there's an invasion happening and nobody else can go. So, you know, Mulan poses as a man. And joins the army to fight for her family and her country. And, you know, things spiral out from there. And it is so fun to watch Mulan just like beat the bejesus out of anybody <laughs> who comes like and is, is in her way like she is she is very like thoughtful and she is very sort of like she cares so deeply about her family but she's also like I can throw a walnut at you from across the room and break your jaw and like I will do that if you get on my bad side it's really fantastic. And I also, there's a romance element that I loved. I loved the way that Sherry Thomas takes this story and like gives it a new spin. And yeah, it's just so enjoyable. I think y'all will enjoy it quite a lot. So again, that's The Magnolia Sword by Sherry Thomas. Okay, the last question is from Maymuna, who says, I am in a reading funk. I'm looking for cozy, fun reads that are dramatic, but nothing really awful happens. Something Harry Potter reminiscent would be great. Magic, fantastical elements, maybe even royalty without the Game of Thrones gore. I also loved Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, so something about books or love of books might be fun. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked A Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst because it has magic and royalty and a little bit of political intrigue like Game of Thrones, but not any gore. So Dina is a princess who um, has always known from like birth that she is going to marry the prince of Maneria, I think is the name of the, the neighboring kingdom. 
And she's been raised to do this. She's accepted it. Like, fine. She's, I don't know that I would say that she's happy to do it, but she has accepted that this is her duty um, and that it will benefit her people, which she legitimately does want to be doing. So when the book opens, she's going to the neighboring country to meet the prince and to, you know, kick off the party and all of that kind of stuff. And discover and while she's doing that she's hiding the fact that she has a magical power which is like the ability to create fire and the kingdom that she's marrying into has outlawed magic entirely so she has to hide it the problem is she's had no real training because like princesses don't do magic magic is for dirty commoners so she's never she's been hiding it her whole life so she doesn't really know how to control it and when she gets emotional like stressed out scared anxious stuff around her kind of catches on fire (laughs) on accident and then she has to make up some reason so like the opposite of elsa yes the opposite of elsa (laughs) yeah um and you know it gets harder and harder to be like why are you always around when stuff catches on fire are you like a secret arsonist like what's wrong with you and so to make like matters totally worse she has to learn to ride Maneria's war horses it's part of like the ceremony of being the queen of this country which she is going to be and so the the prince's sister, who was called Mare, who's like the master of the horses, teaches her to ride. And the two of them, Mare and the princess, Dina, uh, develop some feels for each other that become very inconvenient because she's supposed to marry her brother. Awkward. And then uh, while all of this is happening, while she's like trying to hide the fact that she could set stuff on fire, trying to learn the customs of the country that she's in, trying to learn how to ride these freaking horses and like deal with her feelings for her betrothed sister, a member of the royal family is assassinated and all of this political intrigue kind of bursts out. And uh, Dina, who when you first meet her is like very sweet and duty bound and uh, you know, like a type B kind of personality. Like I'm here to make people happy. She's very much a servant heart kind of person to borrow from my Christianese. And it turns out that she's actually like a really sharp and brilliant political strategist. And so while this assassination has left the whole kingdom reeling, her and Mare, the sister who she's uh, developed feelings for, start to solve the mystery of what happened. While Dina is also figuring out how to make the pol- the politics of the entire country, which are getting more and more volatile, uh, work. And also not set anything on fire. So that's that's what's happening here. <laughs> There's a lot going on, but it's really fun. And I don't know, it's like cozy. There's not a lot of, the stakes are high, but you know, the stakes are high in this like magical world that doesn't feel real kind of a way. So that's Of Fire and Stars by Audrey Coulthurst. I am giving you the sci-fi version of what you have asked for. It is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers, which we have not yet recommended this year. So I feel Ooh. like the statute of recommendation limits is fine. And this whole series by Becky Chambers is like, yeah, dramatic things happen, but nothing awful really happens. And everybody loves everybody else. (laughs) And they all look out for each other and are nice to each other and have each other's back during adventures. And also there's like aliens and, you know, wormholes in space and like some dramatic spaceship stuff. Uh, (laughs) It's just so endearing. This is like very found family. The crew of the Wayfarer are like a bunch of misfits from, you know, various species who have been brought together by the captain, Ashby. Um, The newest member, Rosemary Harper, is from Mars and is sort of like a little bit running away from her family slash her past. And she wants to get away. This is the way she sees how to do it. But, you know, of course, a little bit more than she bargained for when they take a new job to build some wormholes to this new location for lots of money. But then, you know, things get complicated. I think you'll love it. 
it is exactly the space version of what you're talking about fantasy-wise. So again, that's The Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And that is our show. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for taking out all of our pet noises and uh, weird side notes. Thank you all for listening. If you are so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help other folks to find the show, and we super appreciate the feedback. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I will warn you, it is entirely dog content right now and for the foreseeable future. Let me just recommend that dog <laughs> content. I am that. living for the Rottweiler collection yeah. of your stories. It's so, it's so good. It's it's what it's what we need right now, Amanda. Never stop. Okay, <laughs> done. <laughs> You can also find me on social. I do not have a puppy. I apologize in advance. I am mostly on Instagram right now at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.